I was in uh, Rochester uh, a few months ago. It was, uh, I came into the city uh, during the day and came out at night. I had some meetings to go to and came out at night, and so it was very dark. And so I got in my car and uh, was heading home, and at first everything was fine. Everything seemed fine. I was driving. I was, I was in the city, but everything uh, appeared to be like normal, nothing out of the ordinary. I get into, onto the highway. About a mile down the highway, things started to look weird. All of a sudden, uh, something I think was wrong with my eyes or something, and I couldn't see. Everything got a, a lot dimmer. And I was like, what, what's going on? And I, I started rubbing my eyes and trying to make, you know, maybe my eyes just weren't adjusting or something like that. But I just, I couldn't, it's, it's, it's sort of like when, when, a, when the light just goes dim just a little bit and you're just like, Did something, something just happened right in the room. That's how what it felt like. It felt like just a little dim. And I was, I, but I didn't think anything of it. I figured my eyes would adjust and everything would be fine. I got about two or three miles down the highway as I was moving outside the city and things got darker and darker. And again, I was like blinking. I was rubbing my eyes. I was trying to figure out what was going on. And then about five miles out, things got to get actually a little scary. I, I wasn't sure if I was, I was losing my sight. I didn't know what was happening, but I could not see the road anymore. And I actually felt very unsafe at that point. And I said, the next safe place I can pull over, I need to pull over because I can't see anymore. I actually was kind of a little panicky. I didn't know what was going on. And right before I pulled off, it finally dawned on me what had happened. I forgot to turn my headlights on. And when I turned them on, all of a sudden, I could see. I'd forgotten to see. I got into the city, and when the city is so lit up, you kind of forget that you need it. It's everything is right. So I just doo-doo-doo, got in my car, didn't think anything of it. And then all of a sudden, as I moved away from the city and all the street lights and all the glow, Everything got dimmer and dimmer and dimmer, and I couldn't see anymore, but I didn't know what the problem was. I had, I had turned off the one thing my car was meant to show me the way to go. I just, I'd driven five miles down the highway outside of a major city with no headlights on. I just thought people were friendly when they were honking at me. Apparently, <laughs> they were not. They were, <laughs> they were giving me uh, some gestures, so to speak. How often in our lives do we live with our headlights off? Hold that for a second. We'll get back to it. First, let's come to the text. And if you know me, I ask you to stand, if you will, when you approach the text. So if you would, please stand. When we approach the text in an Eastern context, you do two things. One is you stand. It allows you to distinguish yourself from the Word of God. The second thing we do is we recommit ourselves to God before we approach the text, uh, the text in way of a prayer found in Deuteronomy 6 called the Shema. Now, kids, you're in the room this morning. This prayer is done passionately. This prayer is truly uh, believing that we are talking to God, saying before God, God, I come to you. You're about to speak to me in a very real way. And so I want to tell you how much I love you and how much I'm committed to you before I do it. So you'll say it after me. And kids, if you're in the room, say it with passion, okay? Here we go. Hero Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your strength. Amen. These are the very words of God in Titus 2, 11 through 15. For the grace of God has appeared 
that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These are the very words of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now this first line of our passage is interesting. It says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation for all people. Now the word appeared in the Greek is the word epophano, which literally means to appear, or it can mean to shine. To shine. I want to show you a couple passages where we, we see that kind of that connotation of something shining. If you have your Bible, you want to flip with me, you can, or just hear as I do it. In the book of Luke, Luke chapter 1, 70, and, and starting in, in verse 76. In the book of Luke, when John the Baptist is born, his father breaks out into song, which I'm sure is the reaction every father here did when their children were born, right there in the hospital, just break out into joyous song. But he breaks out into this long song as he celebrates the birth of of his son. He prophesies over him. And in starting in verse 76, he says this, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine, epiphane, to shine, on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And so he takes this imagery of the, of the sun rising and literally shining its light upon the world. And he says, just like the sun rises to epophane, to appear, to shine upon us, those living in darkness will be guided to perfect peace. Flip two books to the right, in the book of Acts. And in Acts 27, this same epiphany is used to kind of to show not just appeared, but really to shine, something that brightly shines, or you see it in the darkness. In the book of Acts, Paul is sailing to Rome and is met with a huge storm that lasts three days. And Paul writes this as they are looking up in the sky, hoping to see a break in the clouds. Again, this storm has been hitting them and challenging them and tossing them for three days. And so they are staring up in the sky, hoping that the sky will break. And he says in verse 20, when neither the sun nor the stars shined, or epophane, maybe your version says appear here, but really it's that idea that the stars are shining in the darkness. They're looking up, hoping for a break in the weather. And so, uh, and so Luke uses this word epophane, the sun or stars shined for many days and the storm continued to rage we finally gave up hope of ever being saved. Looking into the darkness and hoping to see something epiphany shining before us. There's a story in Exodus where Moses is going up to Mount Sinai. He's spending time in the presence of God. And when he comes back down, the text says that his face is literally shining from the presence of the Lord. 
It says this, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant of the law in his hand, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called them. So Aaron and all the leaders in the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterwards, all the Israelites came near to him and they gave them all the commands that the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. It said that Moses spoke with the Lord. And so literally Moses' face was reflecting, was shining, was apophaning the glory of God. His face literally shined to the point that Aaron and the rest of the Israelites who weren't in the presence of God could notice a visible difference in Moses' life. What does it look like to live a life that shines? What does it look like when God's grace so greatly shines upon us that we reflect his radiance? Because it says here that the grace of God has shined upon us like a tan. Except for me, I don't get tans. I have two shades, white and red. That's it. But for some of you who are lucky enough to to get a tan, this is sort of this idea that what would it look like to live a life that that the light so greatly shined on you that it made a visible difference, that you could see the afterglow of the Lord's grace on you that shined upon you so that you might reflect his radiance. Well, the rest of our passage gives us a few things that we can kind of sink our teeth into. The first one is this, and this is your first fill-in. A life that shines says no. A life that shines knows when to say no. And the text says this, it teaches us this grace, this, this shininess of God and his grace. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. We were once at a Halloween party, my family, and they set up sort of the party in the front of their house so the trick-or-treaters could come and we'd give them out. It was sort of an outreach to our community. So we had a, you know, a fire going and we had hot, had apple cider and we were just trying to get to know our neighbors and connect with people. And Mia was about three years old at the time and she was right in the heart of her running phase. And so we were just kind of trying to keep her controlled and make sure she's not running anywhere. But Molly got caught up in a conversation. I got caught up in a conversation. And Mia was just kind of running around, sneaking candy where she could and, you know, just getting all sugared up like any good kid on Halloween would. And then, like, your, your radar goes off, like your parent radar goes off, and both uh, our spider senses went off at the same time, Molly and I, and we looked and we saw that Mia was staring at something across the road. And all of a sudden, we could see her start to make a beeline for it. And then we looked and we saw cars coming down the street. And it, it, thankfully, we had paid attention because as soon as Mia's foot hit that curb, Molly and I both in unison yelled out, Stop! And she froze and stopped. Now, if you're a parent, you know there are different types of stops, right? There's the stop that's just like, okay, guys, come on now. Like, let's stop. Like, this is it. Then there's like the, okay, I'm serious now. Stop. Like, I'm annoyed now. So stop it all. Stop. And then there's the stop that comes from deep within your bones. And you know this stop. This is the stop that comes just out of you 
when you see your child about to kill themselves and they need to stop right now. And this was certainly one of those stops. It just, and, and it's, it's got fear and anger and, and nervousness all mixed into it. And the kid, I think it's like a tone, like, you know, like a dog whistle. It's like a tone that only kids can hear and they know, oh, they mean business now, like something really bad's about to happen. Stop, we yell. And she freezes because she knows the father is telling her this is dangerous. No, stop. Kids out, in the, um, out there today, you've, have you heard this stop from your parents before? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah? Parents, remember, somehow we remember as parents when we have to use that stop. It sort of like edges into our brain like a tree with a ring, with another ring around it every time we have to use that stop. Friends, there are many things in this life that will kill us. And the father yells, stop. Don't go any further. No, this will kill you. This will steal your soul. Stop. Kids, you're learning about the Ten Commandments. Some of them were explaining that to us today. The Ten Commandments are God's stop. But not because he's trying to be just kind of a drag, not because he's trying to just pick some random rules in order to make sure that he can prove to you that he's bigger and powerful than you. No, he loves you. He protects you. He doesn't want you to run across the road. Stop. Friends, which roads are you trying to cross right now? Which curbs are your feet on? Where have you towed the line of something and it's greatly impacting your shine? And maybe you don't see it, maybe you can't see it, but it's, it's internal. It's happening. Your soul is on the brink and the Father is yelling, Stop! Don't go on. This will hurt you. This will kill you. This will steal your soul. That website will harm you. That situation is dangerous. That gossip has a cost. What streets are you attempting to cross? Stop. No. A life that shines knows when to say no. Number two, a life that shines knows when to say no. A life that shines also knows when to say wait. Wait. You see, we live right now as Christians, we live in the already but not yet. See, the grace of God, as we just read, the grace of God has appeared, has shined upon us. And yet, in this passage, while we wait for the blessed hope, we wait. It's here, and yet we wait. It's present, it shines upon us, and yet we wait for the hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and, and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus will make all things right. He will restore everything. He will put everything back together. In the end, all things will be renewed and restored and redeemed in Christ. But not yet. 
there is still sickness, injustice, death. We have a sense that things aren't exactly the way they're supposed to be. And so we wait. Uh, my mother-in-law, Molly's mom, uh, is a sign language instructor, a certified sign language instructor. And so all growing up, Molly uh, learned, she's not fluent in it, but learned many of the signs of sign language. And in fact, her mom uh, instituted a lot of that into the parenting. And so she would flash a sign to them in a, in a mall or a crowded area and would be able to communicate uh, with uh, Molly and her brothers and sisters about, um, about what, what she wanted. And so we've actually used some of that in our own parenting. We've used some of those sign language skills in order to help our kids communicate, particularly when they were younger. So there's different really uh, helpful ones, one of which is this one, which means more. So you teach, a, you teach a two-year-old or even a one-year-old before they can speak to sign more if they want some more milk or some more food. And we have great memories of our kids sitting in their little high chairs and, you know, more and more again. I want more, particularly the candies and the sweets, you know, more. They didn't do this much for broccoli, but this was definitely something they had when they had their dessert. So more and more. Another one that, please, please. We, we still do this with our kids. If our kids come up and they're just, they ask a little biting or they're just a, they just make a demand that we don't really love. We don't even say a word. We just go. And even little Micah, he's, oh, peace, peace. Now, when he gets a little older, when he's really hungry and he really wants something bad, he'll go, you know, it's like, all right, it's, it's, it's not that. But he'll be like, please, please, please. You know, but please, it's a good one. But the one we probably use the most often is the word for wait. Someone will ask for something or they'll interrupt a conversation or something and we'll just look at them and go, this means wait. And they've learned over the years that when you cut off mom or dad or you try to get something when it's not time, they've got, they're looking for the desserts too early and they ask and we say, we don't even have to say it, we just wait, wait. But I imagine that it's hard as a kid to be able to wait when they don't have the perspective of the parent. Right? Why can't I have that good thing? It tastes good. Why can't I have it right now? I've got something really exciting to say. I want to say it right now. What, what do you mean I have to wait? I don't understand why. Clearly my thing is more important than your thing. I want to tell you about it right now. I don't know, kids, if you've ever had to have this happen, but there's something in you that you want to say so bad that you kind of like, you like move around. You even like, mom, 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 right? You're like, mom, come on, mom, come on. Tell, you. Hey, tell me, come on. And you just, buddy, it's time to wait. People who have the shine know when to wait. But it's hard when you don't have the perspective of the parent. You see, our Heavenly Father tells us to wait, and we don't have the perspective always. And so sometimes it doesn't make sense. Why do I have to wait? You promised to renew everything. You promised to put everything back. You said in the end, all things will be renewed and restored. Why do I have to wait and the father says, trust me, wait, I'm telling a story, I'm doing something here, and it's going to require some time for it to fully show my glory, so you need to wait. That person who has hurt you and has it coming, that situation you took the high ground, but now you feel misrepresented, that season that beat you down and still makes no sense at all, where is it hard for you to wait? Because the life that shines, a life that reflects the radiance of Christ, understands the t his timing 
and says, Lord, I will wait and I will bless you in the meantime. I will bless you throughout. And so a life that shines knows when to say no and a life that shines knows when to say wait. But there's one more. A life that shines says no and a life that shines says wait but a life that shines also says yes. Yes to Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. The Father says yes to Jesus. At one point, Jesus tells his disciples, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for a bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? The incredible news of the gospel is that our Father has said yes to the best gift. He has said yes to Jesus, all of him, forgiveness, restoration, hope, joy, purpose, comfort, peace, love, yes, yes, yes. And in fact, we are able to embrace the no's and accept the weights because we have the yes. We can embrace the no's and we can accept the weights because we have the yes. And the life that shines relies on this yes and taps into its power and glory in order to do the other two. How often, friends, do we live without our headlights on? We struggle with the nose. We wrestle with the weights. But we're not tapping in and we're not accepting the one great best gift God is giving us in order to accomplish both. A life that reflects his radiance, understands the fact that without the yes, we can't even do the no's and the waits. How often do I live my life with my headlights off? Dim. I can't see. I make bad decisions. I react in bad ways. I snap at my kids. I'm not loving to my wife. I don't do my work as well as I can. How often do I live with my headlights off. You see, we can't do the no's and we can't accept the weights unless we have the yes. So may you embrace the no's and may you accept the weights because you have been given the yes. And may you live a life that shines Because, friends, that's what the table is about. And that's what we get to celebrate today. We get to celebrate the amazing truth that God said yes. We get to live in the reality that he has wanted to bring a people together 
who understand and love him and are willing to say, understand the no's and are willing to say the wait so that we can embrace the yes and we can show the world what yes looks like. And so we come. I'll invite our communion ushers to, to join me up on stage as we do this. It is a great privilege, and I see it as a great privilege to be able to do this together. I see this as a great privilege to a community together. This is why we don't do communion by ourselves. We do it together so that together we can embrace the fact that the grace of God has shined upon us. Do we even understand that idea that just like the sun, just like the stars, the grace of God is tanning our lives, is shining upon us? so that we might be able to reflect his radiance to the world. And so this is our declaration. This is our celebration that we get to say yes. Kids in the audience, parents in the audience, it's, uh, it's at your discretion of how you would like your children to participate. We love to do this at Kids Sunday because we love that idea that you get to teach, that you get to show, that you get to explain as a family what's going on. So feel free to do that. We don't want this to be a quiet, solemn thing. We'd love to hear buzz all over the sanctuary of, of parents explaining to their children what's going on, why this is significant, why we do this as a people together. So please feel free to do that. This is an open table. If you are a follower of Jesus, regardless of if you're a member here or a tender here or not, you are welcome to the table. And this is also a dry communion so that we uh, can, everyone may participate together. Let's pray as we partake. Father, thank you. Thank you that you said yes. That, Lord, as we learn to trust you when you say no, when you say stop, as we trust you, as you say, wait. We can do that because we know you, because you've said yes. Thank you that your grace on the cross has shined upon us. Thank you for your sacrifice as you gave your life for us. Radiates your mercy so that we might reflect it back. And so we come to this table today in celebration and reverence of what you've done on our behalf. We thank you now, Lord. In your name I pray.